Thanks for joining us for season four of the Hospitality Hangout, a hospitality-focused podcast where the founders of Branded Strategic share their insights and bring technology and innovation leaders that are making things happen in the industry we love. My name is Jimmy Frischling, otherwise known as the Finance Guy, and I'd like to introduce my partner, Mr. Michael Schatzberg, also known as the Restaurant Guy. Thanks for that uh, warm, kind, fantastic intro, Jimmy. And to all those listening, feel free to call me Shatsy. Together, we are the personalities behind branded strategic hospitality. We work at the intersection of hospitality, technology, innovation, and capital. Jimmy, as always on uh, on season four, I like to kick things off with just a, a shameless plug for all those listening out there. If you haven't already checked it out, please check out the Branded Marketplace. It is a e-commerce place that you can go at, for hospitality operators to go check out. It is a phenomenal space. Lots of great solutions that are helping solve some of the biggest problems in the industry. Uh, go check it out, thebrandedmarketplace.com. It's free, costs nothing. It's easy, www.thebrandedmarketplace.com. Check it out. If you'd like to be on the marketplace, if you'd like to, if you're a seller and you want to be on the marketplace, email us at marketplace at brandedstrategic.com. Uh, uh, I think our guest is already on the marketplace. So we are, yes, even we better. Are. Oh, we are. Okay. You can't speak yet. We didn't, we didn't officially announce you yet. All right. Go ahead, Jimmy. You take over now. All right. I want to say though, Shats, um, I'll tell it. I'll tell a quick dad joke. It's free. Shats, how are you going to make any money? Volume, but I'm bummed. Okay. Yeah. We make it um, up obviously. All right. Listen, we are very excited uh, for today's podcast. We have a special guest, a very good friend of, of the branded team. Abhinav Kapoor, the CEO and co-founder of Bicky. Um, Abhinav, we're going to let you kick us off. Uh, maybe we'll give a little intro uh, about yourself, background, and of course, uh, your fantastic company, Bicky. Sure, yeah. Thank you. First of all, just thank you so much to both of you for having me. Um, it's, uh, it's great to finally be a part of the production <laughs> after listening to all the great episodes that you've hosted across the different seasons. Um, as, as flattery flattery and, will get you everywhere, uh, Abby. Flattery will get you everywhere. <laughs> I mean, that's how I've made it this far, right? So <laughs> Yeah, there's no way he'd listen to our podcast, Jimmy. Oh, I mean, only a couple of episodes. <laughs> oh, it's, it's already, the story's already changing. That means he listened to one. <laughs> <laughs> on the subway ride into into the office, basically. Yeah, yeah. Today, today, today. Yeah, today, this morning. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. While potty training my three year old, basically. Yes. Oh boy. So, All right. Dmi, um, Dmi. No, as Jimmy and Shatsi mentioned, my name is Abhinav Kapoor. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Bicky. Bicky is the best way for restaurants to understand, engage, and retain their guests. We aggregate all of your customer data across point of sale, loyalty online ordering, third-party delivery, kiosk, pretty much anywhere customers order from you. We pull all that customer data into one place to unlock a totally unified view of your guest footprint. And we built ways for restaurants to basically program that data so that they're sending the right email, the right text message at the right time to customers based on their behavior. Uh, my background is in finance, so I, I'm sure you could tell by the very data data estimate. Wait a minute! Wait a minute! You were in finance, so <laughs> oh, you were okay. so you, you you know that Jimmy's nickname is the finance guy, right? I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I, I'm not trying to steal his his spotlight though. Is the I'm a finance guy. I'm not the finance guy. <laughs> yeah, you can't be the finance guy. Jimmy's it's the, the finance guy. Finance guys coming in the hospitality, making things happen. Step aside, Shatsy. Step aside. <laughs> <laughs> I'll let you guys. I'll let you guys take it from here. Yeah. No, but just to wrap, wrap up real quick, we work with uh, about fifty-five restaurants now across two hundred and fifty locations uh, across New York, DC, Philly, San Francisco, and LA. 
It's all about just helping them empower what we call digital hospitality, which is just building real relationships with their guests uh, as the business goes digital. That's awesome. Well, since you since you started off with a little bit about that, you were a finance guy and Jimmy's a finance guy. Uh, you were an event when I first met you. I mean, I remember you you I, mean, I know people can't see you right now, but he's got this gorgeous flowing long hair. When I met him, he was clean shaven with short hair. I swear he had a suit and tie on like he just came out of the Merrill Lynch office, the Merrill Lynch training program. Now he's Mr. Uh, Silicon Valley, long hair. He looks like he's like from that show on HBO, Silicon Valley. Yeah, I mean, so how did you get, how did you go from Maryland's training program, which I just made up, by the way, how did you get into the restaurant space and, and, and helping restaurant operators out? I mean, what, what, tell us that story. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, my background, like I said, I was, I did investment banking for five years and then switched over and did equity research for three years. Um, but the story of this business with Jimmy's Luke, getting Jimmy's getting very excited right now. You're exciting him. You're getting, he's very he's never been this excited on a podcast. You mentioning words. He's so he's so happy right now. I, I mean, these are words that I barely think about anymore, unless I'm telling the story of Vicky. Uh, and so, you know, my, my office was in Midtown, being in finance, and and the story of this business really starts with my mother-in-law. Uh, you know, she came to this country in the late '70s, didn't know the language, didn't know the culture. Like, you know, true, you know, a very immigrant-esque story, you know, had various odd jobs as a bank teller, grocery store cashier, hotel desk clerk. And in the early 2000s, you know, she, she wanted to chase her version of the American dream, and she started a fine dining Indian restaurant, right? At the time, only Danny Meyer had tabla, and that was the only place doing, giving Indian food the white tablecloth treatment, where they were pairing wine, uh, mm-hmm. pairing wine with Indian food. And she wanted to, you know, elevate that cuisine, the cuisine that she grew up with. And over an 18-year period, she turned it into, into a two-star New York Times-rated restaurant. Just by touching tables, knowing her guests' names, their faces, what they eat, what they drink, really building a loyal community around her business. And like I said, the restaurant's on 51st and 2nd and right by the office. So being a good son-in-law, I would go by and pick up free lunch. And I just remember seeing her increasingly in the back of the restaurant, staring at delivery tablets instead of up front talking to her guests. So one day I just went in the back and I was like, mom, what are you doing? Like you're ignoring everything that made this business successful. And she's literally looking at a Grubhub tablet and she's like, I recognize this customer's name on the tablet. So I'm writing down their phone number so I can call them and see how the delivery went. That's the only way I can actually understand if any of these people who are ordering my food are actually having a good experience with us. And that was like the light bulb moment for me, that the restaurant world is going digital and the companies that are driving that ship, like DoorDash, Uber Eats, Grubhub, Postmates, the way they win, whether they know it or not, the way they win is by effectively stripping someone like my mother-in-law of the ability to do hospitality, right? Like she went from working for her business to working for these tablets in the back of her kitchen. And so the idea behind Vicky is how do we help restaurants not just get the third-party data, but get all of their customer data across all the different channels where customers are ordering so that they can actually know as the business goes digital, who are their customers, who's coming in once a month, who hasn't come in in the last 90 days, and then giving them the opportunity to engage these guests based on their behavior and build real relationships with them. Wow. I got to tell you, I love that story. Uh, I love the the whole you know, coming it's a little, it's a little sad, though, would you say, Jimmy, just sitting in the back looking at tablets all day? <laughs> but that's what I mean, right? It's like, again, like my mother-in-law is one of the proudest people I know, right? And so to see her go from, again, being a small business owner to literally feeling like she's working for someone else and losing control of the business, like that, 
that to this day still pisses me off when I wake up every day. Like that's the that's what I'm trying to solve against or fight against. Yeah, our whole thesis, Brandon's whole entire business model is operator driven, operator centric. We will mm-hmm. only work with technology companies that are allies to the owners and operators. And and you by by talking about that issue of the tablets in the back of the store, you know, you crystallize for us that tablet hell being a real challenge and 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 how you're your mother-in-law was removed from the guest. So this is awesome. We're going to have a lot of fun today. and Let's just jump into it. But before I, I overstep and go outside my lane, I am the finance guy of this relationship between Gatsby <laughs> and myself. Uh, I'm not the only finance guy, but but let's jump into, you know. I thought you were the only finance guy in, in New York, Jimmy. There's other finance people in New York? You no, know, I heard there's one or two others. But we are seeing in the restaurant <laughs> oh, okay. there are startups and truly early stage companies that are catching the eyes of, of many investors. And, you know, what's interesting is through these types of investors and acquisitions, you know, we're seeing a lot of action take place even earlier in the maturation curve than, than we might have otherwise expected. You know, we saw Squarespace buying talk. We saw Salesforce yeah. investing in pop menu. How do you think investments like these will impact the future of the industry, especially as non-hospitality companies are now entering the space. Yeah, I think it's I uh, I think it's you know it's funny every every restaurant owner I talk to is like you guys are great I I but I kind of want one system to consolidate everything <laughs> and I think mm-hmm. restaurant owners have been talking about that for a long time and I think the the truth of the matter is is when you have companies like Salesforce investing in Pop Menu and and Squarespace Squarespace acquiring Talk I don't think you're ever going to see that consolidation. What you're going to have is restaurant operators with more choice and more tools to solve challenges than ever before. And I know that can seem overwhelming, but I, I actually think that is a good thing for the space. When Squarespace acquired Talk, right, it signaled that a website builder wants to get into the business of helping restaurants manage their digital presence. And you have a host of companies out there, very strong companies that we are really happy to partner with, like Bebot and Bento Box, where the lines start to get a little bit blurred. Right, like Bento Box has traditionally mm-hmm. been the premier website builder, and, and now with online ordering for restaurants, and now you have Squarespace kind of coming in on that territory. I think Crystal would say at Bento Box to this too. It's going to make their company better because you have a bigger company with a bigger war chest, realizing that restaurant tools are sorely outdated. Right, way beyond like restaurant where restaurants are now from a from a tech standpoint is where retail was ten years ago, and. So when these yep. so when these non-traditional restaurant tech companies start making investments in the space and start acquiring companies outright in the space, I think it puts all of us on notice. The ones who say we're aligned with operators and are focusing on this space and love this space, I think it's going to make all of us better because, you know, that's capitalism, right? To go back to being the finance guy, it's, it yeah. puts a little bit more pressure on each of us to really understand the mindset of what operators want and need and just get better at building the right tools to solve their problems. Wait, wait, wait. See, I say I got one. I got one. Yeah. This is unique. This is original. This one might stick. Are you ready for it? Ready? Ready. Greed is good. (laughs) Jimmy, Jimmy, I love that, and I'm going to start using that quote. Greed 
is good. I yeah, love he's it. He's the you philosophy know. guy. He's not the finance the guy. The finance <laughs> guy comes through again. Listen, uh, this podcast, it's always, we have first all the time. And today we got the first great quote there it is. from Mr. Finance guy himself, Jimmy Frischling. Greed is good. I love it, Jimmy. And I'm going to footnote you and I'm going to use that, that one a lot. Trademark that. <laughs> yeah. So let's take it deep. Let's let, let's talk a little bit more about um, Bicky and the product itself. Um, yeah. We talked a little about how operators are much more, I mean, an industry that has not embraced technology. Certainly now their uh, operators are starting to wake up and embrace technology a lot more. Uh, there's more to tech than just a point of sales system. I think operators are, are recognizing that online ordering. It seems like they the operators recognize you got to get your own online ordering system, your own white label system. And I feel like customer engagement is the new online ordering if i if i may uh, use that analogy uh, so let's talk a little about bicky and the tools that you're providing operators what what exactly is bicky doing how does it work and what kind of role does it play in a restaurant's day-to-day -day operations yeah so i think almost by strategic design we don't have anything that actually sits inside the restaurant the reason for that is there's already so many things happening in the restaurant, like the actual business of serving guests and making sure they have a great in-store experience. What we are focused on is sitting, you know, if you think about it, we are the net that sits behind your point of sale system, your online ordering system, your loyalty system, your kiosk, wherever guests are ordering from you. And we are catching all that customer data. And then we're looking for okay, this phone number came from a Grubhub order. Does it match this phone number that came from a reservation? And then we pull that together and we give you a picture of how your guests are ordering across every single channel. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason why that matters is, you know, the, I always think of like McDonald's golden arches, right? And they have that signed underneath and it's like billions and billions and billions of customers served. I don't think most restaurants, restaurant, restaurant operators know that their regular guests are the lifeblood of their business but they don't actually know who those people are, right? Unless they're walking in the door no. every day and it's, and it's the maitre d' or the GM who's welcoming them and greeting them. And so by collecting yeah, sure, all this right. customer, right. And so by collecting all this customer data, you can literally go in Bicky and you can create a filter that says, show me everybody who orders once per month. And we will give you that list. And then you can click a button, say, push this list to MailChimp so that I can email them. And we'll automatically sync that list to MailChimp. And then you can send an email to your customers that are ordering from you once a month. And it's like, hey, you're a VIP. Here's something exclusive that we're doing just for you, right? You can do it another way and say, who's everybody that hasn't ordered in 60 days? And instead of just looking at who hasn't ordered delivery, who hasn't ordered in my loyalty app, who hasn't placed a reservation, we're literally rolling up all the data. And so you are able to find everybody who hasn't ordered in 60 days and hit them with the same precise targeted message so that you're not, your communication strategy isn't scattershot across the different channels. So it's kind of like the system of record, the source of truth for all your guest data, and therefore the system of record and source of truth for every way in which you engage your customers. I so love the way you articulated that. And for our listeners, you know, what Abhinav is describing, you know, we, we put in the category of customer engagement um, and the criticality around it. And really how the industry and how stores are going to compete for, you know, guest attention, loyalty, share of wallet, et cetera. And it's really becoming a critical piece uh, of the puzzle and the digitization of our business. You know, I, I, I think your, your own growth over the last 18 months and, and a lot of what we've seen from customer adaption and adoption has been, a, you know, really accelerated. And 
the pandemic has obviously been a key factoid um, in, in forcing us to think about the digital uh, you know, components to our industry. How has customer behavior been impacted? You know, um, you know, and, and, and were there any changes that you made at Bicky to the product to accommodate this embracement and, and this, you know, the, the acceleration of this uh, adoption by, by customers and businesses? What changes have you made? Yeah, that's a it's a great question, and almost kind of counterintuitively, I think you know, Shats. When we first met, we were focused specifically on the part of the restaurant business that was already digital. By that, I mean delivery. I think in the very beginning, when I first talked to you, we were talking about how we aggregate delivery data, third party and first party. And if you, and right. if you look at yeah. that, you mm-hmm. know, at the time when we first spoke, this is pre-COVID, that was only twenty percent of a restaurant's business. It wasn't really a massively significant right. piece. It, third-party delivery was more of an annoyance, but it didn't really hurt. It didn't really matter because 80% of the business was still people coming in store. And when COVID happened and the business went 100% digital, all the restaurant operators that we had been talking to that were like, I don't know if this is a big enough problem. They're like, hey, my hair's on fire. My business is 100% online ordering and 90% of it is controlled by third parties. I need to get the data on these customers. I need to know who they are. So while we were helping operators at the height of, of the pandemic convert customers from third-party delivery, uh, proactively email customers to, to, to drive up order frequency on first-party ordering, the, thing, the way in which we adapted was we built our in-store uh, POS integrations and our reservation integrations. Because we, what we were thinking is right now every restaurant operator cares about online ordering when the pandemic subsides, we didn't know when that was going to be, but when things subside, there's going to be a big focus where consumers will want to be back in stores and where restaurants will, be want, to, will want to drive in-store order frequency. So we built our Toast integration, we built our Square integration, we built our Resi integration, and something that we are doing now, again, by being that system of record, we're helping restaurants take all of their delivery data and we're helping them run marketing campaigns across social media and email to drive more reservations. And because we are the, the system of record for data, because we have integrations across online ordering and in-store channels, we can actually say, here are customers that came to you during COVID and they were delivery only. Here's how many of them are coming in store now and placing reservations. Here's how many of them where their check size has doubled because they're going from a delivery check size to an in-store check size where they're now ordering liquor and wine and, and appetizers and desserts. And so the, the thing that I love the most about our business is we don't have anything customer facing. And so whatever the moment calls for, wherever a restaurant feels like they need to increase their business, we have the data and the tools to help them drive that outcome and drive revenue and order frequency across those outcomes. So the big adoption, the, big, the biggest way we adapted was just building those in-store integrations. And it's, it's been amazing to see our customers adapt alongside us um, and say, great, you know, I was focused on delivery during the pandemic. Now I'm focused to in-store and Vicky is my partner along the way in helping me achieve that. So. Yeah, no, it's awesome. So let me ask you real quick. So we talked about the engagement, personalization. So just r- real quick, what's the playbook when working with a restaurant and the operators? How do you implement and how do you simplify the process? I know we talked a little bit, but how do you implement all this? Yeah. So it's funny, you know, when, when we first started the business, the two things I would hear most often is, I've never seen my data this way before. What do I do with it? And the other thing I would hear is, I want to be like Sweetgreen. And I would say to them, like, do you guys know what that means? Or do you just see them raising money and, you know, high digital app usage? And so, you know, I just downloaded the Sweetgreen app. And, and 
I basically said, like, what do they do that's so special? And I realized two things. One is they never discount. Most restaurants, if you look in your email inbox, it's buy one, get one, 20% off, right? It's spray and pray promotional advertising. What Sweetgreen does is very brand oriented. Here's who we are, our values, what we stand for, the farmer whose seeds are now in your salad. That was number one. Number two, the way in which they engaged me as a new app user was very structured. The same way, you know, Facebook has this famous stat. If you add seven friends in the first five days, you're a Facebook user for life. And what Sweetgreen did was they, they ran an onboarding flow to get me hooked as a customer. I got three emails in the first 10 days and an email every five days after that until day 40. And so we went to our restaurant partners and we're like, okay, you want to be like Sweetgreen? Let's build you an onboarding flow. I guarantee you, you are not emailing your, your customers the day after they sign up or order direct from you. You're lumping them into your same generic email list and blasting them promotions. What if we took your new customers aside every day and we said, day one, message from the founder. Day five, highlight a menu item. Day nine, talk about your food philosophy. Day 14, highlight another menu item. And we basically built this automated email campaign that we can plug in and that restaurant owners can use to engage new customers every single day. And so that's the way we think about all of our marketing campaigns and our customer engagement. It's like, it's like that, you know, the old Ronco Showtime oven, the infomercial. I don't know if you guys remember that where the guy puts, he's like, he said it. And then he points to the audience and they're like, and that's how we think about customer engagement for restaurants. It's, you guys are busy. You got other stuff going on. You need to be serving your guests and focusing on your food. What are the set it and forget it automated marketing tools that we can implement for you that you're not doing today? Because guaranteed they drive, they make money for you, right? Like for Grey Dog, I'll give you a perfect example. For Grey Dog, 16% of customers were coming back after their first order. Only 16% of customers. When we plugged in this automated welcome flow, that number went up to 30%. So we basically almost doubled the number of customers that are coming back after their first meal within the first month. So set it and forget it. Set it and forget it. Why do we give credit to Ron? I was gonna I was gonna give that to Jimmy. <laughs> set it and forget it. Another first. Jimmy coined that phrase. <laughs> yeah. I, I was gonna say that last now I can't even give it to him. I was gonna say that last segment was sponsored by our friends at Sweet Greens. Yeah. <laughs> For delicious kale salads and juices, go to That's Sweet. Right. Okay. I mean, credit to them. They, they are an inspiration. So, you, you know. And Sweet Green will send you an invoice uh, for the sponsorship and the shout out. Um, you know, the last year um, has certainly been a hard one uh, for operators. And uh, Brandon does have a uh, restaurant portfolio as well. So we know that firsthand. Whether you want to say through chaos comes opportunity, necessity is the mother of invention, or maybe through great struggles, you know, often, you know, the, you know one finds redemption in, in the opportunities that come out of it. What advice uh, would you give to today's operator on the opportunities that are available in today's market and they should be taking advantage of? That's a great question. I'll say one tactical thing and one sort of like, you know, uh, hot pie in the sky thing. The, the tactical thing I'll start with is, you know, especially with the labor shortage now, I would say invest in contactless payment or contactless ordering. Uh, the reason I say that is, and I don't, you know, I, you know, I think we are still, during COVID, we looked at contactless ordering as a, as a necessity because of the convenience and the touchless nature of it, and that was what was required. I think we are just at the beginning of how restaurant operators will start to experiment with what contactless ordering actually means for their business. Give me an example. My wife and I, for our wedding anniversary, we went to Lartuzzi for dinner in the West Village. 
beautiful restaurant, white tablecloth, upscale Italian place. We had the, the server there walked us through the entire menu, was our partner throughout the entire meal, helping us understand what we wanted to order if we wanted dessert. When it came time to get the check, she just walked over and she said, whenever you're ready, she put down a QR code. And I know fine dining restaurants are a little bit like, ah, I don't know if that's going to interfere with the experience, but I'll tell you what, it was so, it was much easier, much simple. We can enjoy our glass of port that we were having at the end of the meal with our dessert and we could pay and we could leave whenever we wanted. We didn't need to flag anybody down. And the contactless payment actually elevated our experience because we didn't feel rushed. I didn't feel like I need to hand over my credit card. And when I got the bill, I need to sign and leave right away. Uh, I didn't feel like it hampered the in-store dining experience at all. It just elevated it and it took away something that can be an inconvenience and just made it totally frictionless. And from a strictly selfish perspective, the best part of contactless ordering is that when I checked out, I had to leave a phone number or email to get my receipt. And if you got Bicky, we're collecting that for you and we're mapping that and we're mapping your information to your check so that the restaurant can form a better picture of you. So, and I think like, even if you look at fast casual quick serve, right? Investing in contactless payment upfront so you can expand kitchen capacity and just drive up throughput. I think those are two clear winning opportunities there. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it makes it makes a lot of sense. What you're doing is it's it's so incredible. It's it's necessary. It's uh it's really fantastic. So let's just talk about like what's what does the future look like for Bakey? What's on the agenda? What's on the roadmap? What else are you doing? Are you buying Salesforce? Are you buying Microsoft? <laughs> like who are you buying? What's happening? Salesforce, uh, unfortunately, is we're a little bit small to buy Salesforce just this year. Maybe next year we'll think about. <laughs> I thought didn't you just mention what, earlier? Didn't we mention that you were buying Salesforce? I missed that. What happened? Am I wrong, um, Jimmy? I think for us, the what's in terms of what's on the future. You know, the biggest thing we think about is with as the business goes digital, is how do we help restaurants map their entire customer journey and put it on autopilot. So if you've got a new customer and they order at a certain location, you want to personalize the message that comes from the GM or if you're a franchisee from the franchise owner at that location. If they lapse, they automatically fall into a bucket where you can re-engage them. If they're an active customer, they automatically fall into another bucket where it's just a series of campaigns on autopilot. So the way I think about it is like, let's give you the tools so that you can literally, whatever guest behavior you can think of, you can program it and you can trigger the right text or the right email or the right social media campaign to actually engage that customer based on their behavior. It's just personalization at scale on autopilot. That is, that's one of the biggest things that we think about here because, you know, marketing is important. Uh, there are only a few restaurants, the, mostly the big fast casual brands that actually have really good expertise in marketing and what that means. And so what we think about is like, how do we democratize what they do and give every restaurant the basics to achieve that themselves, to just keep driving up order frequency and retention. So that's the big thing we're focused on in the next 18 months. That's awesome. I love all of it. That is great. Hey, let's, let's shift gears a little bit. Um, you know, when we started the podcast, um, Shatz and I did so because we thought, you know, we'd like to speak to folks in our industry and our guests, you know, would, would share insights with our, um, with our listeners. Uh, and along the way, uh, we learned that our guests sometimes have questions for us. So uh, this is <laughs> are called Talking Back, uh, and we offer and invite our guests uh, to ask us any question. Nothing's off the table. Uh, Avi, take your shot. Yeah. I, so for me, it's funny. Uh, 
a lot of restaurant operators I talk to have, even though it's a fairly new concept, they have a love-hate relationship with virtual brands and ghost kitchens. Uh, and you guys just went to the the ghost kitchen conference in, in Texas. So I would I would love your take on A, how big are ghost kitchens actually going to be and what impact are they going to have in the industry? And B, are they actually good for restaurants? Ooh, excellent, excellent question. I'm 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 speaking right now to I stall and give this <laughs> time to digest the question. Yeah. Because you're about to chat to be put on the spot and you're up. Yeah, no, I think A, A, it was great to go down to Dallas with Jimmy. It was 115 uh, in the shade. Uh, it was great, seriously, to be out at, at, a, uh, at a show, an in-person event, the first one for Jimmy and I since uh, we were at Murtech in Vegas in March, uh, you know, the first week in March, I think, before there was a lockdown or whatever. Uh, so that was – it was great. Yeah. And, and, and I got to be honest, it was, it was a lot of activity, a lot of really great faces. Yeah. There were some operators there, and I said, hey, are you in this space right now? And they said, no, we're just really kind of sniffing around to see. So I think it's really interesting. It's, um, it's not going away. It's a new vertical. Um, it, interesting, I, I, it's been around for a while. It's not new. A lot of people have been doing it for a while. They just didn't call it what they're calling it now. It didn't have these, these naming conventions. A lot of operators were doing multiple um, kind of foods out of their current location. They were just kind of thinking it was just another uh, a sales channel for them and they were doing it. i mean we had brands on uh we had uh, a wing brand on uh, on grubhub and doordash and it was coming out of one of our burger restaurants so we were doing it quite quite a while ago um but to answer your question uh more specifically um it's not going away i think it's great i think for restaurants that have extra capacity yeah. in their kitchen which a lot of a, a lot of us do especially uh, uh off peak off days I think it's great. It's just another another revenue stream. Um, I think some of these virtual brands that are popping up, the the guys that are that are creating brands, they're just creating a a, a platform for the guy who has extra capacity, and maybe he's a, a burger guy. And he's got extra capacity. I don't know how to create another brand. I, I'm just so happy I got my one brand. So I think they're giving you a turnkey solution. You say, look, you know how to make food. Here's a brand. Here's a recipe. We'll put it on the platforms. You just make the food, and we'll give you some. You know, we'll give you a piece of the action. So for some operators, I think it's it's a it's a terrific solution for them. Um, I think when it comes to just building more kitchens, there's some models out there just building more kitchens and and saying here's a kitchen, and now you can kind of have your brand in an area that you weren't in before. Uh, you know, that's another model. Uh, we'll see how that goes. I think there's a lot of kitchens out there. So the idea of building a lot of kitchens, I don't necessarily know that we need more kitchens, but we'll, you know, that'll, that, you know, the, the time will tell, but I think at the end of the day, I think the idea of building kitchens, there'll probably be a, a play for that. I think having, uh, ver, you know, created brands by a third party, creating a brand and putting it in your restaurant and you, and you using them, there's a play for that. And I think just, you know, an operator is creating his own brand and just sticking in his restaurant. There's a play for that. And that's that if, if you have the bandwidth and the capacity to do that, and a lot of operators are very creative, but if you have, you know, you can, you create the brand that's there now, just create another brand and, and pop it in and put it on the online channels and, and you can do it yourself. And, and it's an incremental business. So I, I think it's great. I think it's a lot of opportunity. It's not going anywhere. And I think it's uh, yeah, ultimately um, I, I think, 
it, it can be great for the operators. Yeah. You know, Shats, I know you just tried to Jimmy, run the – Jimmy, tell me how I did wrong. Yeah. And I'm going I'm to say, God damn it, I agree with Jimmy on that. Well, the only thing the only thing I think you tried to do there was run the clock out on me <laughs> and exhaust the time allocation to this segment of our, of our show. But au contraire, I'm hitting the extender button. And I want to simply say the following. Brandon takes the position that by the end of this decade, half the eateries, half the restaurants in this country are going to be virtual. Well, yeah. from a, a growth perspective, we believe there's massive growth. Why is that important to companies like Vicky and, and those who are digitizing this industry? There is a growing group of consumers, the customers that want these virtual restaurants. They want these virtual kitchens. So the demand is there and now the execution uh, needs to follow. What I would say, however, is there's no cutting corners. Our takeaway, my takeaway from that conference, running a virtual restaurant yeah. is not yeah. so different, or rather there are plenty of challenges. And if you think you're cutting corners and somehow not running a restaurant, that to me would be a horrific miscalculation and mistake because you are taking responsibility for the, the food, the inventory, the menus, the recipes, the prep, the delivery, customer experience. It's all there. So th this is going to be here yeah. to stay. And the last thing I would say to those entering the space, particularly those who are building, you know, large, you know, uh, floors of m many, many kitchens, go work in a kitchen, go spend time in an existing kitchen today and understand that the, that the human is a key factoid in driving success. That's why Branded loves the virtual restaurant that utilizes excess capacity and maybe less so on those looking to manufacture and spend big capex on yeah. creating new kitchen capacity. There's our thought. That might have been the longest answer Shatz and I gave to a question from our guests. So no, no, it was great. It was great. But I but I but I would just sum it up. I think when you're when you're going into this, you're either the franchisor or the franchisee. And, and and to Jimmy's point, there's no cutting corners. So you're the franchisor. You're going to be responsible for making sure everything is on par. If you're the franchisee, you're responsible for making. So at the end of the day, that's what it is. It's a, it's an interesting space. Let's talk tech a little bit again. Uh, we like this section, top of the tech stack. Outside of other, uh, obviously, every restaurant needs to have Bicky. If you don't have Bicky, you're making a tremendous mistake. But if you don't have Bicky, you got to get it. But outside of that, outside of that, what hospitality technology, what would you recommend for all of operators listening out there outside of getting Bicky? What do you think is top of the list? What should they have? Yeah, I, I think I mentioned this earlier in, a, in an earlier question, but I, I, I think contactless ordering, frictionless ordering, frictionless payment is, I think, one of the best, one of the best investments that operators can make right now. Um, you know, there you, you go, guys. About, there you go, all listeners yeah. out there. I, I, that's, hair from this guy you know, flowing gorgeous hair <laughs> who knows you don't get hair yeah. like that and not know something i just think i just think it enables so much right whether it allows you to either focus more time on elevating the the experience of hospitality or if you're focused on volume and throughput it allows you to actually invest in kitchen space and kitchen staff to actually satisfy increased demand but yep. i think yeah, digitizing payments i would say is, is, is the biggest thing yeah I got to tell you, in an, in an environment where labor and human capital is the number one issue facing the industry, I could not agree more with Avi's comment of, about the, you know, the need to digitize. All right, let's go to a, our crystal ball moment. Uh, Avi, we're going to let you um, have the opportunity to put on your, uh, your Kreskin or Miss Cleo hat and predict the future. <laughs> How do you see restaurants and dining two years uh, from now in relation to hospitality and tech? 
And I'll just simply say, you can't go with uh, contactless pay. You're going to have to give us something else now. But how do you see? No, I, I know. I know. I got, I got to come up with something else. You went to the well too many times on that one. <laughs> our, friends, our, our friend the B-Bot are loving this episode already. No, well, yeah, we, I mean, we love Steve. We love Steve also. So he's, you know, they do great work. Um, uh, it's, it's Steve definitely is definitely paid Abby twenty dollars to say that. Two years. Steve <laughs> two throws twenties around like they're water. When like you go out to lunch, he usually pays. So yeah, for sure. I just got myself another lunch at a minimum. He's never he's never bought me a thing, <laughs> Jimmy. Steve's he never bought me a thing. This guy. All right. Anyway, crystal ball moment. Where's dining in two years? I'm gonna zag a little bit. I think the only virtual restaurants that remain two years from now are the ones that the bigger brands are doing like next bite. Um, you know, cause I think, I think right now the biggest thing that I hear from operators I talk to is like virtual restaurants. There's just, there's so much out there and there's so much noise on the delivery apps because everybody is testing and spinning up virtual brands. Yep. And I think the ones that remain standing are, you know, next bite, which actually has direct relationships with the celebrities or can invest the time and energy into rolling out national concepts. Um, and so I think two years from now, the only virtual brands that are remaining are those really, really big mega brands with folks who have deep enough pockets to build national recognition, brands that can have national recognition. Uh, and then they could co-market those with the big third-party delivery platforms as well. I, I love it because this is going to be awesome because we are definitely going to mark our calendars for two years from today, Jimmy, and we are <laughs> going to bring... I'll be back because Jimmy said half the rest will be virtual. Abby says there'll be very few, maybe six or seven, if I can uh, read through the lines, maybe two or three, six or seven. Yeah. I don't know. Jimmy says uh, uh, 500,000. Abby says three. Uh, and we're going to see who's right or wrong. And it's going to be interesting. This is going to yeah. be interesting. Get your fans. That's the good thing about out. opinions, though. They don't cost you anything. <laughs> yeah. Well, I can, I can tell you, if Jimmy's wrong, we're not having you back. Yeah. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> I think the truth will be somewhere in the middle. Well, somewhere in the middle. Because Jim, this is our podcast, and Jimmy's not going to look bad on his own podcast, goddammit. Uh, listen, uh, Abby, branded quick fire. This is the best segment. The crystal ball is fun, but nothing like the branded quick fire. This is the best segment. Everyone knows it. Five lightning round questions. I'm going to ask you don't think too hard. Whatever comes to your mind, are you ready for the lightning round? I'm pumped. What is your all time favorite TV show? This is going to come as no surprise, but I grew up watching Cheers on Nick at Night when I was in high school. Hey. And they used to do four episodes back to back from 10 p.m. to midnight. Yeah. And that Cheers vibe, that Cheers feeling is what we're trying to build with Vicky, right? No. your name. Hey, Norm. You know, <laughs> so, how you feeling, Norm? It's a dog eat dog world out there, and I'm wearing milk bone underwear. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, no, no. no we, I, I don't know if they have it, but there should be a Norm quote book somewhere. If they don't have it, I bet you can yeah, find I, it. They probably do, yeah. So that's that's the best TV, my favorite TV show. Where are you getting dinner from tonight? Where are you getting dinner from tonight? Uh, I have been eating out every night for like the last like six nights because you know it's you know we're we're in our new office in downtown Manhattan and and that's what you do. So tonight I'm going to be eating at home. <laughs> Boring answer. All right, last no, night okay. I was in the, I was in the West Village last night. I was at Malaparte in the West Village last night. Beautiful Italian restaurant. Like, this, is, this is quick fire. You understand this is quick fire. Right, right. I'm going to the next one shorter. And Jimmy's going to yell at me. Shorter. Yeah, you know. Uh, what's, <laughs> what's your favorite food city in the world? Uh, New York. Yeah, no question. It's got everything. When travel resumes to complete normalcy, where's the first place you want to go? 
Don't say FSD. Uh, India. India. To see my okay. grandparents. Uh, <laughs> they've been nice. going to their own. That is really nice. COVID, that so. Jimmy, yeah. you see that? That's class. It's a nice answer. Class answer. You're about to you're about to make some fun, and then you realize uh, Avi was being very <laughs> sincere and sweet, and you had to shut the. It's a good move, Shasti. Oh, I was never going to make fun. That's beautiful. All right, if you were to challenge Jimmy Rye in an old-fashioned arcade game of Pac-Man, who would you have the better odds of beating? Uh, I would say, Shasti, your skills are unknown. I would challenge Jimmy because I found that most finance guys are bad at video games, and. Uh, so I think I think I'd have a chance at, at taking that. Yeah, you know what? I I agree. I agree. Jimmy is not good at video games. <laughs> I gotta say, actually, when I when I read the quick fire and I saw question five, Shanti, I really felt that the, that our producer had figured out an angle to let Throwing you me a bone. As a youngster, while I was out playing sports, you were playing football on the field, and going out with my friends, and and being. I had my Nintendo in front of the TV. Shanti, was yes, in the yes. arcade. Yes. Shanti was doing. I had my uh, Cool Ranch Doritos after school and a Nintendo. And that was it. Yep, you were do, you were you were at the video. You were at the arcade. Yep. So, Abby, I agree with you. Yes, hundred percent. And anyone who wants to uh, t- make a video game challenge, you're going to kick my butt. Shanti's still an old pro. Okay, listen, Abby, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Uh, we appreciate your great insights um, and really everything you're doing to the industry. Uh, and for operators, not just during this still very you know difficult time coming coming out of the pandemic, but really what you're preparing the industry for, and that digitization, um, you know, with the discussion we had. Yeah, likewise, likewise, it's mutual. Likewise, if you want to get in touch with Abby directly, we won't let you do that. But if you email branded and email us, what's your phone? What's your cell? Abby, what's your cell phone? We like to broadcast that. So podcast at brandedstrategic.com, and then we would be happy to connect you uh, with our friend, Avi. To our listeners, uh, we want to thank you so much for tuning in. We know there are literally hundreds of thousands. What about the offer, the special Bicky offer? The special Bicky offer. Free uh, Bicky for a year. Free Bicky for a year for any operator who calls in right now. Free. You have 24 <laughs> hours. Free Bicky for a year. The, the Ronco Showtime oven move. That's the Ronco Showtime oven move. <laughs> Save some money. Yes. Um, yep, just call in right now. Call five, 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 one, two, one, two. All right. To our listeners, we want to thank you so much uh, for tuning with us. We, we get it. We know there are thousands of podcasts out there. And the fact that you choose to spend time with us is something we don't take lightly and we appreciate. Uh, please join us. We got next week, Jimmy. Uh, we're going to have some fun with this, too. I, I think Abby was great. And guess what? Next week, we are going in a different direction uh, with Misha Majid, uh, the co-founder and co-CEO at Mighty Quinn's Barbecue. And one of the reasons we love Misha and we, you're gonna, we're going to talk about it next week is really his embracement as an operator for all the things that, that Avi was talking about and his really embracement of tech and the digitization. So it's a nice transition to go from a CEO of a customer engagement uh, centric platform to now shifting to an operator that is loving what companies like Bicky are doing. We'll have a lot of, a lot of fun with that next week. So Yeah, and Mighty Quinn's, I mean, Jimmy, that's a, he's a New York barbecue. That's right on the – I mean, I know I love the one on the Upper East Side. Yep. New York barbecue. All right. That's for next week. Listen, uh, finally, if you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss out on any exciting guests. And better yet, please bring a friend to join us uh, the next time. So until then, a big thank you to Avi. And, uh, and this is Jimmy Frishing, your finance guy, signing off and passing it to my boy Shatsy. 
Thanks, Jimmy. This is uh, Shatsy, the restaurant guy, hospitality hangout. Thanks, Abby. This was awesome. Well, until next week, uh, cheers, everybody. Thank you. Cheers. <laughs>